I want to welcome everybody to this very, very special A Conversation with Brian. Tonight's guest is a prominent National Basketball Association Hall of Famer. He's an author, an entrepreneur, a motivational speaker. Some of his accolades include five-time NBA All-Star, five-time member of the NBA All-Defensive Team, two-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year. He was an All-Pro. Additionally, he served as a former NCAA Division I head coach and an NBA assistant coach with the Dallas Mavericks, Golden State Warriors, and Milwaukee Bucks. He also led an international team as head consultant in Beijing, China. He has served on the board of directors for a Fortune 500 company and as president of various retail auto dealerships. And so without further ado, let's welcome the Hall of Famer, Sidney Moncrief, author of eight books, to a conversation with Brian. Sydney, welcome to the show. Brian, thanks for having me. I think I'm going to hire you to be my introduction. <laughs> you really know, love you. Introduction. You've done a, a lot of great things. Um, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Robin Dawson, who has connected us. I did some work in Arkansas for the last three or four years, and um, she told me about Sydney. She she said, you know, Brian, do you know Sydney Moncrief? And I'm like, Robin, I only had his poster on my wall when I was in high school. So, right. um, but I do appreciate you you coming on the show, Sydney. At the beginning of each one of my shows. Um, I could Google and anybody could Google and they would find out a host of things about you. Um, but with all of my guests, I want uh, my my audience to hear from them um, in their words. Who is Sidney Moncrief? Can you tell us a little bit about your, your personal story, your professional journey, as much as you like to share? And then we're going to get into your basketball, into your coaching, into what you're doing now, which really is influencing the world in a, uh, in a positive way. So... But before we do that, who is Sidney Moncrief? Brian, that's really a thought-provoking question to ask. And uh, I'm a guy that's from Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm the second youngest, seven siblings. Grew up relatively uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. I would say poor, not, not dirt, dirt poor, but certainly had certain needs and moved around a little bit from elementary school to junior high school to high school. Sure. And then played at, at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Very well grounded into the fundamentals that were taught by my parents and relatives, integrity, hard work, treating people the right way, uh, I think was a big thing in our family. And even to this day, I did a, a keynote speech a couple of nights ago and it, the person said, God, you're just so normal. Um, yeah, I hope I'm normal. <laughs> I'm just a, a regular human being because that's what we that's what we are. And sure. that's what, what I am. At this point in my life, I'm all about growing my company and impacting people. We always like to say impact before income. And right. we, we kept that mantra for a number of years and love what I do. I just love life, right? I get up yeah. every day and do my thing and, and I kind of feel like I'm retired. I 
feel like I'm not really working. Even when I'm working, I feel like I'm not because I just enjoy impacting people and living my best life. People will say, Sydney always says, live your best life now. And that's yeah. that's what I believe in. Well, and and just from the people I've spoken to in Arkansas, as I said, I did a lot of work in Arkansas. You you are doing that. Um, and can you talk a little bit? Um, we're we're going to walk through your early years in terms of basketball all the way through where you are now. But can you talk a little bit about your your wife, Dr. Takesha Moncrief? And 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 you all um, really are are working together. Um, and, and I was taking a look at your your website. Um, you've written a book together. Um, she's a person after my heart because she's a former classroom teacher. She's a literacy coach. Um, she spent a great deal of her time in K-12 K twelve education. Um, can you talk about that partnership and, and how you are supporting um, the folks around Arkansas and throughout the, the country? Brian, you know how important education is. Yeah. And she is a brimstone, fire-breathing person when it comes to literacy and when it comes to our kids. And we we kind of met accidentally because I was trying to do some work with her school. Right. By a friend of mine. And I got the contract and then she got re relocated. <laughs> so you know oh, yeah. I was a little pissed off at her because you know, she cost me a little bit of money on that deal. <laughs> but uh she uh I was impressed with her focus and with her ability to hold me accountable. And I said, Would you help me write a book? She agreed to do that. And from the book, we form a bond, a, a good relationship. And it just grew because we were so different, yet so much alike. Yeah. Uh, her, she she develops and delivers curriculum. And that's kind of what she does professionally. Sure. I had all these great ideas, good concepts, yeah, uh, experience in dealing with people. Sure. But I didn't have the structure. I didn't have the best practices as far as the structure of what I was delivering. And she's been able to come in and revamp things that we do to make it more impactful uh, and makes it makes it she makes it easier for people to understand because that's what she does very very well yeah. but that's uh, the mark of a good team right it's a, it's a great team we're yeah. we're, we're uh, impacting we're growing and we're living our best lives and it's been a really fun ride let's go back to um if you we if we could um your time um, playing basketball and Again, being the first two-time All-Defensive Player of the Year for the NBA, uh, I remember in high school seeing you on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And um, again, as I said, I, I had your 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 poster. I'm turning 58 uh, next week, and and I was again. I asked my uh, my mom and my brother and sister. I said because my mom, my sister lives with my mom, and I said, "Do we still have Sydney Moncrief's uh, poster?" And my mom said, "I'm sure we have it somewhere. I'm going to check." <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Um, but, but, you know, being a first round uh, pick, uh, fifth overall uh, in the draft with um, uh, Magic Johnson, um, what um, what were you thinking? Because I know that um, the Lakers were thinking about taking you. So what were you thinking when you came out of, well, one, you know, talk a little bit about your experience in Arkansas because you all got to the final four. But, you know, as a basketball player, you know, what were you thinking in terms of your your future, your career when you were in college and beyond? Ron, that's a really uh, good good observation. I, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Seriously, I really don't know what I was thinking. 
Uh, one advantage of coming from a smaller community is, and certainly in the 70s and 80s, you didn't have the social media, you didn't have all the accolades that people were throwing at you when you were young, which sure. means you had a more modest view of who you were. And then in the neighborhood, when you're balling out in the neighborhood, no one ever told you you could play. You know how that yeah. is. They yep. can never play. There's yeah. always something wrong with your game. And, and <laughs> yeah. they beat you when one-on-one. So, so you had all that going on, which kept you grounded. Yeah. Kept, it kept me grounded, at least. And as I developed, I tell people I didn't have – I read where LeBron James said he never had a, a goal of being the leading scorer in the history – of the NBA, and he yeah. had one more goal that he never had yet. He's about to accomplish those goals. I was the same way. Never had a goal of being in the NBA. Never had a goal of being Defensive Player of the Year, Hall of Famer. Didn't have those goals. I tell people all the time. I instinctively had a goal of getting better every day at my craft. Yeah, it was instinctive because it wasn't it wasn't intellectual because I wasn't far enough advanced to really understand that concept. And I just kept getting better and better in high school and then in college. Uh, I, someone told me I was going to be a first-round pick. I'm like, huh, what, huh? You know, I'm scratching my head. I was top five players in college. And that concept never really entered my mind much that you're one of the best players in college basketball. Yeah. I think that is what helped me to become such a good pro because I kept that spirit throughout my earlier part of my NBA career. I just kept getting better, better, growing every day, and just moving up, moving up and playing at a high level. What made you um, such a, a good two-way player? I mean, the, the, the focus on defense for you, and defense for, for many of us, well, you know, it, it's hard. A lot of people don't want to play defense because it's really hard work. It takes discipline. It takes toughness. It takes effort. Um, offense can come easy. But defense, you're, you're backpedaling, you're, you're on your heels, you got to play against the best players. And for you, you're playing against the best players night in and night out, but you're still scoring. So what? why were you so focused on making sure that you were a great two, two-way player? And, and you know, being an educator, you would appreciate this. One of my, uh, Dr. Marcus, has this high five concept of literacy and how you impact students. And one of them is high expectations. Yeah. Expectations. When I was in high school, I never forget I had played a I had played a great game. Team had won, I probably scored thirty something points, double figure rebounds, and rocking and rolling. And my coach, Coach Oliver Elders, uh, he was in the gym. I walked in the gym, really proud, chest stuck out, and feeling good about we had just won the game the night before. And he said, "Moncrief, come here. I got something I want to show you." I just knew he was going to give me accolades and talk talk about how great I played that that night. And he, right. he put this old film on. You remember the film? That yes, the film. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. And then he slowly dissected how bad I was defensively. Wow. Just look at you right here. You, you don't see what's going on on the weak side. Look, at you're not moving your feet. He slowly went over sure. all the things I was doing wrong defensively just to make me understand that it's more to basketball than playing offense. Yeah. From that point on, I had an awareness about defense. Then I went to Coach Eddie Sutton, who was a defensive guru. Yeah. He had four years back then. It wasn't one and done for many guys. We had four years of three and a half hour practices, three hours defense. Wow. And I was able to develop now the fundamentals 
to go with the, the grit and the mental. As you know, it takes a lot of stuff here and here yep. to play defense. Because you can yep. easily say, man, I forget this. You know, I scored my <laughs> points. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> but it does take a lot out of you to play both ends of the court. Yeah, yeah. And all my coaches, they demanded that I played both ends of the court. I didn't have a choice. And I developed that routine and habits of being able to do that. Were there players, I mean, I know uh, Michael Jordan, you know, said that it'll be a tough night when he played against you and Larry Bird had some comments as well. Um, you all in 82-83, in Milwaukee swept Boston and you had an, an amazing series. But were there certain players besides Jordan that were um, really tough to, to, to play against where you just said, I got to be on my game tonight? It's so funny you would say that because I looked at every player every night as if they were Jordan. I never really distinguished between a great player, average player, and a poor player when I played against them. Now, we both know that there's a difference. Right, right. <laughs> but my mindset defensively was always stay on top of your game, didn't matter who you were playing. But a guy called me two days ago, Peter, and he was doing a story on the Philadelphia 76ers the year they won the championship. We were talking about the players, and one name came up as probably one of the most, for me, most difficult players to guard, and that was Andrew Tony. Andrew Tony, I was like, oh man, <laughs> you knew, you knew yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Michael was tough to guard. That's a yeah. urban because of his type and the his ability to shoot uh, all different types of shots. But Andrew Tony, he had the total package. He had the speed. He could shoot a jumper. He could drive. He could pull up. He could post up. He, he could beat you in transition. It wasn't anything he could not do. And he had that quick first step. He had that yeah. quick, and he had quick second and third and fourth step. <laughs> so he was, certainly he was one of the more difficult players that I had, had played against. You know, besides Coach Sutton, um, were there any coaches who were really influential um, on your game and on you personally? Well, Coach Nelson, you know, Don Nelson, Dale Harris, Coach John Killaway, all those uh, people, John, uh, Mike Schuler. Yeah. When I was with the Bucks, okay, I could play defense in college. But playing defense in college and playing defense in the NBA is totally different. Yeah. And they were the coaches that taught me the right way to play defense in the NBA, how to body up, how to lock in when people are pin, pinning down on players, how to chase over screens. I knew how to get through screens. In college, you had to do that. But it's, right. different. it's different getting through a screen and chasing over a screen on a pin down. That's a totally different concept. And all those things about staying with the body, anticipating uh, all those things I really honed when I was with the Milwaukee Bucks. And although Nelly is not known as a defensive coach, he was a defensive coach when I went to Milwaukee. That was his calling card. John right. Kelly, Don Nelson was how to play defense. And that helped me a lot during my early years. I think in our, our text exchange back and forth recently, I, I let you know that my my college roommate, Mike Brown, um, played for the Bulls the first two years. And I think his his rookie year was 86, 87. So you were, you know, with the Bucks. And and I actually Googled and went on YouTube not too long ago and, and saw a game that you all were playing and uh, playing against each other. But I, I, you know, spoke with Mike recently and he just said, you know, Sydney was just tough. Um, and just was an amazing player. And I think what he what he remembered um, from the game um, that 
you all played against them. Like you played no, a number of games, but there was one game where you played in Chicago Stadium and you had just come back. I think you were out for like 17 games because of an injury and you had just come back and you still were playing like Michael Jordan really tough. I mean, he was, he, he had a, you know, a poor shooting game. No, you know, you actually hit 37 that game and he was averaging yeah. 37.5, but he didn't have a good shooting game. Um, but again, he just remembers how good a two way player you were. And he just said that most most guards were not doing that back then. No, no, no. Mike, Mike was a tough, tough, you know, he was a tough player, very aggressive. And when, when you play Chicago, so that's like playing Chicago Stadium. Yeah. It doesn't get any better than Chicago State. Yeah. And yeah. I always tell people when they introduce the Bulls that Michael was always the last person, right? Yep. And they number 23 and the 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 arena, the stadium was just like wow. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. up literally with the noise. And that got me so fired up because I didn't fear, I didn't fear <laughs> <laughs> the road crowds or yeah. the players or anything. And you would have thought they were cheering for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was so loud in that place. Yeah. Yeah. Playing against Michael. Michael. Michael doesn't get enough credit for how smart he was. Yeah. Yeah. He 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 knew the game. Um and he, he knew. And I always knew when I guarded him that he would just let the game come to him. Yeah. He would sit, he would really stay on the weak side waiting for you to fall asleep. So you can make a cut to the basket. I never yeah. I was very much aware of that. And then all of a sudden, if the game would go on, you knew he would pick up his intensity. Yeah. And so, but I stayed ready the entire time. Not that you stopped him. You, you couldn't stop Michael Jordan. But he, you had to make him work. Yeah, you make him work and just yeah. make sure you're paying attention. I always like to say on defense, make sure I'm doing what I need to do. Every once in a while, a player will be better than you are. And they're going to get the best of you. But it shouldn't be because you're not prepared. Right. Ready what you should do you know i i um know you play with some great players you know pressy and you know you know john, even you know john lucas came i think it was 86 87 um jack sigma was near the end of his career Arthur uh, johnson bob Lanier, yeah Arthur all these great yeah, yeah yeah and so were, were there any players who who were who mentored you when you came in to, to really help support you as you you know became this Hall of Fame player? Yeah, I tell you, when I came in, that team for the Bucks, they, they had some pros. When I said pros, they had players that not only played the game right, but they did the other things off the court right. Yeah, sure. And they played for championship college teams or very good college teams. Yeah. I was able to come in under Junior Bridgman. He played yeah. at Louisville. He was just so disciplined about everything he did. Clint Buckner, Indiana, whereas Marcus Johnson was there. And, and all these great players, and they played. They played the game the right way. They were coached from high school yeah. through college the right way. And it, it's fun when you play a game and everybody knows how to play. Yeah. And that's how I was with the Bucks. And I had a lot. Harvey Ketchum, still a very good friend of mine. He was a great mentor for me when I played for the Bucks. And they gave me that stability uh, because he was, Junior was four years older and Harvey was six years older than I was. Okay. So they, those were the two guys I hung out with the most. Sure. They were pros, and I watched how they interacted with fans, how they would go through their practice sessions, shoot around, film sessions, and I learned a, a lot about being a professional from those from those players. And you as know, you – Brian Winters on the team. I forgot Brian Winters. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Brian, 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 Brian. Brian yeah. yeah. <laughs> but and not this Brian. This Brian uh, didn't play in the NBA. This Brian played in Europe. So uh, it's all I good. Think, well, that's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive. But Brian Winters. Yeah, I remember he helped, he helped me on defense. You know why? Because he torched my butt every day in practice. Really? Yeah. He, he could. Show. Yeah. He knew how to use picks. He was patient on the pin downs. He would run you off two screens. And I had to do that every day, guarding yeah. him. And I don't think there was another player in the NBA until that kid that was killed in the car accident from Europe. Oh, uh, Petrovic. Petrovic? Drive. Oh. Yeah. He could. Oh. He could just. He just kept moving. He played for the, the Nets. Yeah, played for the yeah. Nets. The yeah. only player, of course, Reggie Miller was in that category. But those yeah. were the only three players that, when you're guarding them, especially on pin downs. Yeah. It was extremely difficult because of their ability to change pace and their ability to uh, uh, set you up so well. And you talked about the people who mentored you as you were getting near the end of your career. I'm sure you did the same for for others. Or were there some players that you feel good about how they? I, they... Don't, I don't know. Here's why: because I lead by example. I'm not a. You can mentor through your words. Sure. You can mentor through your words and actions. Yeah. And oh, you can just mentor through your, through your, uh, your actions. And I was yeah. an action type player. I think a lot of players watch how I reacted to different things, how yeah. I practice, and certainly how I practice because I had this philosophy that I want to win everything. I want to be first in everything. You know, yeah. that you want to yeah. win. Like if yeah. I'm, we're playing tic tac toe, I want to win. <laughs> and so the, I, I carried that over on the basketball court. If we're doing suicide, guess who wanted to be first? Yeah. I did. Yep. Anything I want to be number one. I think players saw that. And back then I was quote the star player. And anytime you see your star player putting that energy and effort into what he or she is doing, you're you're more inclined to do it yourself. Sure, sure. As you got near the end of your career, um, you had some knee problems. Um when did they that start and how how difficult was it? Because you know, playing defense with knee issues is very difficult. So how, 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 um, when, one, when did it start? And then how, how did you kind of get through those years, those, you know, final years with the, the knee problems? Well, my knee problems started my senior year at Arkansas. So it shows you how long I had to, oh. my senior year in, in, in college at Arkansas. And I was, I was, I could not practice most days. I could play in a game. And uh, the, the uh, doctors gave me these exercises to do, and they didn't seem to be helping. And I remember being being uh, looked at by the Chicago Bulls because they had a high they had a, a high pick also. Right. And I got on that Cybex machine, and it's flatline. <laughs> you know. Oh, like, <laughs> really? And they uh, they they reported he won't last two or three years in the NBA. His knees are just so bad. That's what they had said. Wow. Coach Nelson sent me to Doctor Leach in uh, Boston. Right. Leach looked at me and said, oh, coach, he should be fine. If he does these exercises, he, he should play, give me seven, eight good years. And that's what I did. I had to be very disciplined on my leg exercises. Every, I iced down after every practice. Right. I iced down after every game. Wow. And I did my, my leg exercises, straight leg lifts with weights every day. And even yeah. on the road, I would take weights. So Jeff Snedeker would take weights. And I would do my weight leg lifts with my weights. That's how I was able to maintain all those years, but it started in college. Well, that's a testament to your your discipline, your your perseverance, because 
college is, is, is one thing, playing 82 games and then the, the multiple playoff series, that's almost 100 games preseason on those knees. That's amazing that you, you played for that long. You know what's really amazing? Is that I was able to, that I was able to put ice on there every day for that long. <laughs> you, know, you know how bad that was. You sitting there like, oh, yeah. no, today. Ice oh. today. Yeah, but that was part of that was part of the process. Yeah. Well, before we leave your your playing career, um, in 2019, you you achieved the highest honor that anybody can achieve in terms of a basketball player, and you know being inducted into the National Basketball Association Hall of Fame. You know. You know, talk me through when you found out and then that day, you know, how were you feeling? What what, what was your, just just talk me through it. Well, at the beginning of the show, what did I say? I said, I'm only, I'm, I'm a human being. Yeah, I know, I know. But still, people, people, people on the outside. <laughs> people yeah. tell about me and my, what, people that know me say I'm never up, never down. Yeah. I'm right here all the time. And it's really strange because the Hall of Fame was something I had been nominated for years before. And right. after a while, I just stopped thinking about it. I would run into people and they say, oh, you're not in the Hall of Fame. Why aren't you in the Hall of Fame? And I said, well, hey, I don't know. Right. I don't really care. Right. But at the point I was, I was uh, when I got the call, I was in, at home and got the call and he told me, hey, you've been selected. I said, Cool. That, that was all right. <laughs> I didn't really feel any groundswell or sure. pride or anything. I did feel a little bit of release so people can stop saying, you should be in the Hall of Fame. You know, because yeah. well, I'm in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but and then the day of, I was I got sick the day of. I kind of oh, really? Uh, and I wasn't feeling my best that day. <clears throat> uh, but the same thing, I was pretty much here. Right. And, and it took a friend to put in perspective for me because I called a friend and I said, hey, I said, I'm really struggling with this. I should be feeling more elated than what I'm feeling. And I said, I don't get it. I just don't feel yeah. a lot of excitement. And, and he went on to say, you're one of X number of players in the entire world yeah. <laughs> that is part of this select group of individuals is it's a huge honor and and so when i started processing it from that from that vantage point i'm like yeah i guess i guess you're right i, I should feel a little better about it but i just couldn't quite get there i just couldn't quite get there you know one of the things that i, I always think about and and um i i truly get what you're saying not that i'm a hall of famer but i understand the the being you know just a regular person and making sure that people understand that but I think one of the things I think about is all the people who have poured into you from Arkansas and all the other, you're, you're representing them. It's not just about Sidney Moncrief. Yeah. It's about all the people who are proud Arkansans and all the people who have you have touched your life. They're like, we were part of that. Yeah, and that's a, good, that's a very good perspective because there were so many people that, that you, when you do your speech, all these people. Yeah. You know, in your mind because you know they've done <clears throat> so much for you as a person and as a basketball player and it wasn't just about me and that's yeah. what the person also says it's not just about you it's about what you represent and all the things you have accomplished but I just couldn't get totally into that yeah. and I'm just not big on inclusive type like country clubs I only go to 
member of country club is, is to have other people like me there. You yeah. know, yeah. I'm not yeah. inclusive uh, type situations, uh, ex exclusive type situation. I'm sorry, never sure. really resonated. I remember uh, when I was selected, a Hall of Famer said, "Welcome to the club," and I. I I just, I can only think about all the hundreds and thousands of players that have played in the NBA all these years. And why am I, why should I be really happy about being in this exclusive club when you're excluding, rightfully so, a lot of other people? Right. So I think to get into that concept, you know? Yeah, like, well, I, I, I'm going to speak. I went too deep into it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but I'm going to speak for myself and all the people who had Sidney Moncrief posters on their wall and all the people who really um, looked up to you. I think it's a, a great honor. I know you, you know that, but I think, you know, I, I could, I get because of the, who the person you are, I, I get what you're saying. Let's, let's go, well, let's go to after you finished and you started coaching. Um, talk about your coaching career. Um, you've coached in the NBA, you've coached in the G league college. Uh, you know, what, what, um, why did you want to get into coaching? And then the second question is, what did you get from coaching? Well, I, I was in business first. Okay. I had the opportunity to coach right out of the NBA. And I passed them up because I had a car business. I, had, okay. I was in a car business. I said, I don't want to do that. I just want to, as an athlete, you always want to prove you can do something else. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, maybe, maybe yeah. you can't do anything else. Maybe you should just, I wish I would play basketball my entire life until I was 80. But there's always something in you that want to, you want to be seen as more than just sure. an athlete. Yeah. And I, I went into business for about, oh, 18, no, 16 years, maybe 15 years, 10 yeah. to 15 years. And I, I was in the car business. I wasn't loving it, uh, but it was affording me an, a good lifestyle and, and some other things. So I was doing it, but I wasn't really loving it. And I remember... Rick, Rick Mello, he was the athletic director at Universal Arts of Little Rock. They, they were looking for a new basketball coach. And basketball was the last thing on my mind. And they just said, yeah. Yeah. He comes to me and said, Sydney, we have this opportunity. I want to know if you want to interview for it. I started thinking, I'm like, okay. I said, well, if I'm going to do anything in basketball, I can't keep passing up these opportunities, number one. Right. Because right. it's going to stop coming at some point. And then I had to weigh basketball car business which one are you most passionate about and of sure. course it was basketball right i started coaching i interviewed got the job uh, did it for one year was not a good coach i was a good manager because i had run a business before right and i had a i was a good i had a good feel for the student athletes i had a passion for them to be something better outside of basketball Sure. I love college basketball from that standpoint. Technically, I had a lot to learn because I was still in the old mindset of how things used to be done when I would practice with Arkansas and Coach Sutton. Yeah. You try to do that with the newer kids. Oh, it's totally different, right? <laughs> they, they were just so wimpy. You know, <laughs> they just couldn't handle it. Yeah. And and uh, so it didn't work out, but I went to the NBA. Coach Nelly, Coach Nelson called. Mark Cuban had bought the team. They were looking for an assistant coach that uh, possibly could move on to a different position. And I said, right. you know what? Huh, I'll try it. So that's why I went from college one year right. to the NBA. 
and did that for a couple years and decided that I really like being independent. I really like running my own business. I really yeah. like people telling me what to do. I'm not used to some of that being the bus at this time. I have practice yeah. this time. Yeah. I wasn't really feeling all that MBA type action. Yeah. And so I went back to doing something different. Nelly called at Golden State. Hey, we need someone. You want to be my shooting coach? <laughs> so I, mean, I became the shooting coach. And in the meantime, they felt my my experience and my interaction with the players they said we want you to be an assistant coach and i was an assistant coach one year but the year that i was not an assistant coach i was uh, independent i went to china for a month to work with their basketball team and the chairman of the team he liked me as a person we didn't we spoke two totally different languages right I tell a story to young people and adults when we talk about building relationships yeah but he liked me he liked my smile. He liked my spirit. He liked a lot of things about me. And they called and said, the guy said, the chairman wants you to be a consultant for the Beijing Ducks professional basketball team. What would it take for you to do that? And I gave them a number and they said, okay. And I said, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I, went to, I went to Beijing for a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. That was a great experience just traveling through throughout China and uh, just helping that basketball team develop. Because yeah. by that time, you know, college, I didn't have any coaching experience. Right. Well, coaching the NBA for uh, three years, that's like 10 years of college coaching. Yeah. I, I had learned so much from uh, being with Nellie Del Harris, uh, Donnie Nelson, and that group, Charlie Parker. So I went to China, came back from China, and I just decided to do my own company again. And then the Milwaukee Bucks call. Who wouldn't go back to their team they played? Sure. Yeah. And I went back there and coached for a year or two. And then now I'm back to building people. I don't build players anymore. Yeah. I build so when, when we talk about that idea of coaching and you're building people, I took a look at your website. And really, you, you have a lot of uh, different areas that you focus on. You know, this hiking experience, which I want you to talk to. Um you you had you have you know a, a keynoting you know part of it. You talk about diversity and inclusion in your in your website. Team enhancement, um, workplace readiness. These are all things that that you know. Being a coach, those skills that you're using, I'm sure you're using in these different areas. And so let's can we kind of walk through you know what you're doing now with with your website. Um, the the hiking experience seems fascinating. Yeah, um, it's really about leadership. Yeah, but what I try to do is I try to I try to see what trend, what what opportunities out there, not what problem, what opportunities out there for you to offer a solution for. Yeah. But, but, but Brian, everything I do is grounded into two concepts, really three. That's why we're doing so many. It's grounded in three concepts: emotional intelligence (EQ), yep, uh, what we call grit. We have a great acronym, which is growth, uh, re resilience, intentionality, and tenacity, and then relationship building. Yeah. But when, you do, when we do leadership workshops, it's kind of the same, but we do put some leadership principles in there. Yeah. But, but it's all based on your emotional intelligence. It's based on it's based on those five components of self-awareness, uh, self-regulation, empathy, motivation, discipline, social skills. Yeah. And that's why we can, we can cover so many different subjects because they're all the same. <laughs> yeah. Developing a person is all the same. We, yeah. we get 
fruit of it. And that's what I discovered over 15 years of doing this, that you can stick to a concept like EQ or like grit. Right. And then you could you could just you can weave in leadership journey, weave in diverse sex inclusion, you can weave all these other concepts in. Yeah. One of the things, you know, what um, I, I really appreciate about what you are doing, and as an educator, um, we focus so much on academics, on on the IQ, and not, as you said, the EQ. I mean, my book that I wrote back here, it's a pre-K through two book, and we talk a lot about, you know, those social-emotional learning skills, you know, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, responsible decision-making, all those skills, which you're talking about, these are the skills that help people be successful. Like I can teach you content. I can teach you, you know, the business, but I, I can't always teach you these, these emotional, well, I can teach you these skills, but a lot of times our, our adults are coming without those skills. And that's why they're not holding on to jobs. Yeah, it's 85% of terminations. It's like 6,000 different companies surveyed yeah. are because of soft skills. Yeah. Not technical, it's soft skills. So I think, as you know, you need a blend of both. Yeah. But it's been proven that uh, the lady that wrote the book about grit, that that grit. Duckworth. Trumps. Duckworth. Yep. Trumps, in most cases, uh, IQ. Yeah. It trumps IQ. But if you have. IQ and grit or IQ and emotional intelligence or SEL, then you are very, very dangerous and you're going to make an impact. Yeah. And so you've written numerous books, The Grit Factor and Kindness, The Grit Factor and Leadership, Reinventing You, No Risk, No Reward, The Grit Factor and Embracing Diversity, Equity and Inclusion, Step Up Your Game. Um, and then you have a passport series, Your Passport to Manhood your passport to back to basic leadership, your passport to becoming a valuable team player. These are all, you know, threads of what you're talking about. Yeah, they are. They are. And I, I like to, every every year, maybe eight, every 18 months, I try to think of, I don't try to say, oh, I think I want to tackle the subject. Yeah. I want to write a book about this subject, like kindness. That's our, right now we have a kindness in action campaign. That's our- uh, I love that. Theme. Yeah. 2022, 2023, and our society has become, the meanness is being broadcasted yeah. so much, yeah. the negative things are being broadcasted so much, and I wanted to teach young people and adults that there's a place for kindness in our world, and it's very much needed, so I wrote the book on kindness, and now we have a series, Kindness in Action, we're working right now on creating a SEL kinds of an action curriculum for, for elementary school students. And then we have something for corporations. As we say, kindness in the workplace is essential. So yeah, we're the same. We like we like to tackle tackle opportunities and see what we can how we can create solutions. I was looking at your website and I, I was looking at one of the videos and I think it was your wife talking about, you know, we need to start with what we have in common, right? Um, I, I think you hit your mute. I did. Hold on one minute. <laughs> I'm calling Dr. Moncrief in here. Okay, awesome. You mind? No, not at all. We will. Uh... She just came in. She just oh. came in. Uh, but but yes, the. Uh, what was your question again? No, I, I was watching. I was looking at your website, and I saw some of the videos, and I think. 
Dr. Moncrief was talking about um, this idea of starting with what you have in common. And, and she said something about, you know, we're, we're multiple ethnicities, but one race. How do we make sure that we're bringing people together? Because, and then in your, um, in the video, you talked about um, that in order for us to work together, and I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing, in order for us to work together, we're going to have all these different ethnicities, different people from coming from different backgrounds, but we have to understand that we have some commonalities and we have to start there yeah, in order for us to work together. Yeah, and it's five generations in the workplace right now. It never happened in the history of our country. Yeah. Imagine the young ethnicity, all the different yeah. challenges we have in bringing people together. And it starts with being kind. It starts with the human touch. You start with building relationships. We, we, we know that diverse inclusion is a relationship issue. And it's a one-on-one -on -one issue. It's an issue of the heart. And we try to, of course, you have all these theories, and that's good. That's well and good. But it really comes down to getting to know someone that's not like you. Yeah. Feeling more comfortable with them and around them. And we love, we're like, we love to tackle these issues. We have fun with them. We Three things we do, we, we, we expose people. We create experiences and we create engagement. So those are our three E's, and that's what we we put our stamp on every workshop or or interaction with our clients with exposure, experiences, and engagement. And those are the game changers. And yeah, we love doing it. My wife is not listening to me as usual, Brian. She was calling me on the phone while I was talking to you. It's all good. She walked in. <laughs> I think she just left. That's all good. Um. Yeah, I, and again, I I think when I was watching your your video, it's very similar to a lot of the things that I do in terms of I I always start with um, what do we have in common because when you have a room full of people who don't know each other, then I you know we do a lot of movements, we do a lot of activities, but I'm like okay, how can we make connections? I think we, even with you, when I first um, wrote that email, I wanted to make a connection. I'm six four. I'm a six four guard. My my buddy is Mike Brown. I want to make a connection, so we have something in common, and then we can go from there. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. What's the shirt? That's Pepperdine. Uh, my daughter went to Pepperdine. Okay, yeah. yeah well, that's Romar. He's the coach. I think he's still the coach. Yeah, he's yeah he's he's there now. She she graduated in 2019, but yes, yeah. he's there now. Yeah, yeah. His, my his, teammate, his second... his teammates at, at Milwaukee. Oh, okay, yeah. His second time around at Pepperdine. Yes, yeah, second time around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Again, always making the connections. There's, you know, we talk about six degrees of separation. I think there's like two or three degrees of separation. You could always connect with somebody who knows somebody who knows you or whatever. We, we, we teach our students and adults, well, definitely our students, as we talk about how do you build relationships. We talk about commonality and we, we talk about the power of questions. Yeah. Because the only way you can get, like, like you said, the only way you can find what you have in common is to be inquisitive and curious and ask questions. Yeah. And if you ask enough questions at some point, something is less yeah. than six degrees. And that yeah. yeah, one or two degrees between, oh, I love that shirt you just have, Pepperdine. Oh, Pepperdine. Oh, Lorenzo, I have someone that coaches Exactly, yeah. It's always <laughs> something if you have the right questions. And I teach the power of observation before you even meet somebody. You have to observe everything about them, uh, even a sweatshirt or a hat. What's on your hat, by the way? Oh, that's uh, L.A. LA. Okay. And, and that's, again, my, my daughter lives in L.A., so she sends me all this gear. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. The yeah. Dodgers, right? Oh, just yeah. L.A. Yeah. Yep, Dodgers, yeah. And so 
again, I think I think that kindness piece, as you said, it's just missing. We we have become so divided, and we, and we don't listen. Like you said, we don't listen to each other because we are much more alike as as people than we are different. We just and even if we're different, if we can actually find what we are having common, then those differences actually can be learning opportunities to learn about each other. Yeah, I think we celebrate. I I wear my kindness jacket a lot because it forces me to be kind. You know, it's like I have a little jacket that has a logo on the back of that kindness in action. People will see the jacket. I love that jacket. I love what it says. But I see that jacket and we all get in these this in this tunnel vision when we're living our lives day in, day out. And sometimes we forget just a warm smile or a greeting or or being, I like to say being intentional about your kind acts. Is, is very important. I, I wear that jacket for that reason. Sometimes my wife, she said, why are you wearing that? Why are you putting <laughs> stuff on the back of your jacket? Why are you putting stuff on the back of your head? I have grit. I have active comments. I said, well, just to remind people. Sure. And to remind myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, if, before we go, um, I just want to just take a moment and talk a little bit about, you know, when, you, when you're going out to speak to, you know, organizations, especially in schools, and and we we've kind of talked about it um, in terms of you know the the emotional intelligence the kindness the grit um, what kind of um, reception are you getting from the 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 the, the students and the um, and the staff yeah we we get tremendous response and one re one reason we do is because we're we're uh, authentic we're we're just who we are yeah I think people will listen to you more if you're not trying to be something you're not. Yeah. Uh, and people listen to you more if you're being transparent with you, what you're thinking or what you're saying. And sometimes you say things that they don't want to hear. You know how that is. Sure. But yeah. our responsibility is they need to hear, but they need to hear in a way that they can accept it. And, yeah. some, and so our response is really from, from the students, you're 50, uh, 58. Yep. Like embark upon your best years of your life, which would be your 60s, <laughs> and I'm 65. And we're with this younger generation, they love engaging with us. Yeah, we have workshops. That's awesome. Yeah, and then we talk about all these gaps. I say, well, the big, big gap with this age gap, as we know, that's one of the biggest beauty and age. That's one of the greatest uh, financial types of discriminations that we can right. have, right. And a lot of that is just us based on us, not just showing people who we are and showing that we care about them. We, yeah. Have you ever been in a situation, I know you have, where you go into a school and the, the students are a little rougher than what we want? Yeah. yeah. Right. We, we have to have that all the time. And remember I said my, my high school coach, when he pulled me in and said, that high expectations? Yep. We just find even the more difficult students, they like high expectations. Yeah. They, they want to they want someone to care enough to challenge them. Exactly. Yeah. That's what they want. And they yeah. want somebody to care enough to, uh, to, to challenge them. And they also want educate teachers be, to care enough to not run away, to not, not disengage, because they're going to test you. And if you disengage, then they're going to say, oh, there's another adult that's, you know, I, I can't count on. Mm, that's a great point. Sure is. So, I think the most difficult one, I pull them aside and just have a little one-on-one -on -one conversation with them. Yeah. And 90, 90%, 80% of the time it works well, but those are all things we learn as we grow and as we sure. as we engage more more people. And 
uh, we're in a great business where we're helping oh. people. We're doing what we do. Yeah, I, I, there's there's no better you know feeling than being able to help people, right? And especially right. kids. I I do appreciate you coming on. Um, this has been great. It's been quite an honor. And at the end of each one of my shows, I share this old African proverb. My my dad passed away three years ago, and at his at his funeral, um, I shared this African proverb proverb, and it goes, "As I go, I am wearing you." And what it means is that all the people who have helped me along the way, all the people who have influenced me, anybody who has touched my life, you're not seeing Brian Butler right here. You're seeing all the people who have helped me. And, and I'm a compilation, a combination of all those people. And so as I go now, you know, after our conversation, even before our conversation, because you have influenced me before then, I am now wearing Sidney Moncrief. Oh, great, great, great. Yeah, we're some total of all our experiences and yep. people I'm in contact with. Yep. Well, thank I, had a, I had a friend, his father died uh, last night. Oh, wow. Sorry and to hear that. He, he sent me a note and he said something similar to that. I'm going to, do you mind if I read it real quick? No, please. It was different, but it was similar to that. His name is Jeff Van Striden. He's in Wisconsin. I had called him a couple of days ago about something and I did hear right back from him. Right. He texted me back this morning and said that he, his father died, but he said, uh, oh, here's, he said, uh, I'm sending you this message because I value our relationship. And even though you've only met my dad a couple of times, what you see and get from me is so much from him. Yeah. It, we, we, we are, as you said, you know, a combination of all the experiences and the people who have just poured into us. Mm -hmm. And so my success is because of those people. Mm, yeah. So, you have some good people around you, my friend. Just keep right. rocking them. <laughs> yeah, and you too. I, I truly appreciate you coming on a conversation with Brian, and uh, we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Sydney. Subscribe to A Conversation with Brian on Spotify. Thank you.